When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome. It is Sunday night and that means only one thing. It is time for the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Nine games right the way across the weekend in a busy, busy 48 hours in the Premier League. And included in all of that, we've got Manchester City. They took themselves on a trip down to Chelsea. We're going to be getting stuck into that. There's also the North London derby and the small matter of a six-goal thriller as Liverpool went to face Brentford. Plenty to get through on tonight's show, so we are going to get ourselves stuck right into it. In part one, we'll be picking the bones out of that big clash at Stamford Bridge. Pep versus Thomas as City flexed their muscles and picked up a 1-0 win at the bridge. Plus, it's not just there. That's not where we're focusing. There's penalty drama at Old Trafford. Ronaldo was forced to take a back seat as Ole's men lost to Aston Villa. That's all to come in part one. In part two, we'll be checking in with the North London derby. Spoiler alert, Arsenal painted North London red once again. 3-1 against Tottenham. We're going to be looking back at that and another goal fest in the capital from last night as Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool drew 3-3 with Brentford. And if that's not enough to keep you going, to wrap up the show in part three, we'll be running around the rest of the weekend's results with big wins across the board for Everton, West Ham and Wolves. Right then, plenty to get through, so let's get started. My name's Fergal Brennan and joining me tonight, fresh from a massive win for the defending champions, we have Man City fan and podcast regular Adam Keyworth. Adam, how's things? Yeah, good, mate. It's uh, It's been quite a good weekend of football on this side of town, so yeah, I can't complain. Indeed, indeed. If you're on the blue half of Manchester, it has been a good weekend, but not if you're on the red side. But we're going to be talking about that in a bit more detail in a few minutes. Alongside Adam, we have freelance football journalist and FSD regular Mr Pete Hall. Pete, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. And yeah, on the red half of Manchester, where I was on Saturday, things not quite as rosy. 
No, no, indeed. Right, well, we're going to keep the miserable bits back for a few minutes. We're going to start with some positivity, and that means Adam, and that means Manchester City. Massive, massive praise right the way across the board for City as defending champions. Pep Guardiola, tactically, Adam, nailed this one up against Thomas Tuchel. There's plenty of history, pretty recent history, obviously, going back to the Champions League final at the back end of, of last season between these two managers, and Tuchel's been used as a kind of kryptonite for Pep and for his methods, particularly in the in the last 12 months. But this has been described as one of City's most complete performances for 12 months. Excellent across the board, individually, collectively, everybody was really, really impressive. And then Gabriel Jesus grabbing the all-important goal. This is not just three points to build towards defending the title. This means way more in the context of Guardiola against Chelsea and City against um, Chelsea. Yeah, I think uh, you, I mean you spot on about tactically, and it still burns City fans a little bit. And I'd count myself in that that we went to the Champions League final and didn't play our best team, and that is that. I mean that will stick forever. It's never ever going away. But what happened this weekend was, I think City went to Stamford Bridge with some intent. We went there with a front. I'd probably say front five of players who wanted to get on the ball, we we used the width so well that Chelsea, and they were playing wing-backs, they couldn't even get near us. Cancelo and Walker had exceptional games. I mean, Can, uh, Cancelo got man of the match on, on BT, and yeah, fair enough, he was exceptional. But there was two other players on the pitch that ran the game. Rodri managed to out-Kante Kante, which is take some doing even though BT still posting the clip of Kante putting him on his backside which is fine Rodri was exceptional he was what we missed in the Champions League final we didn't play a holding midfielder uh, if you can ask any City fan I'm sure they'll bring that up and Bernardo Silva was unbelievable I texted a couple of mates before the game saying the way that City win this game is if somebody has the game like when they turn up and they put in a 10 out of 10 and run the show and Bernardo Silva was just unbelievably good I, I just think that as a Chelsea fan you'd probably be quite disappointed they they were playing seven defenders pretty much in that game at home against a team that they've, they've, they've had the better of us for 12 months they've, they've beaten us three times out of four they they battled us in the Champions League final we couldn't get near them and, and this was a game where we turned up we pressed high we pressed well and I, I, well, but for a few missed chances, it it wouldn't have just been one nil. It was, it was very comfortable, and as you say, probably our best performance for, I'd say probably more than twelve months. I, I don't think I've seen us that comfortable away from home, at a, a a title contender for probably eighteen months, two years. So, yeah, it was it was very satisfying. Looking at Chelsea, uh, Pete, and Adam raises the point that some Chelsea fans might feel a little bit shortchanged. Obviously, from a City perspective, um, they're not going to cry too many tears over that because of that frustration, the Champions League final and the selection. And obviously, selection and overthinking and tactical tweaks does seem to be the, the criticism that gets levelled at, at Pep Guardiola rather than, than Thomas Tuchel. And he made three changes for this game. And that, for me, seems to have been where the game was won and lost. At the back, he made that traditional swap of Rhys James coming in Cesar Azpilicueta moving into the back three. We saw it in the FA Cup final when they tried to negate against Jamie Vardy. But further through the team, Kai Havertz and Mason Mount, who've been excellent for them so far this season, both dropped. N'Golo Kante comes back in, which is, is difficult to argue with given how good and how important he normally is. 
but Timo uh, Timo Werner also starts and he's featured fleetingly so far this season and Tuchel said before the game he was brought in for his defensive qualities to look to shut down Walker and Cancelo either side of the defence did Tuchel blink maybe in terms of his in terms of his uh, selection did he th- overthink the situation did he maybe out pep pep because Chelsea have been absolutely phenomenal so far this season and three players that have been massively important for them so far were dropped because Tuchel was worried about what City could do to them. I think Chelsea fans have been pepped, haven't they? Yeah, in this in this sense because he's he over he did overthink things. Um, but these two man, these two coaches are so good, are so, are so clever, uh, have some you know some innovative ideas that you're going to get games like this where if they played each other week in week out, you, you get one one would win one week, one would win the following week. They're just going to cancel each other out because they've got it's whose idea comes through on the day, and on the, on this day it was Pep. Last time, last time it was Thomas Tuchel. They're just they they do overthink Pep is as as, as Adam alluded to, and every City fan brings up regularly. The, that Champions League final, he did overthink, and he's and he's done it on many times throughout his career at Bayern Munich, Barcelona. Thomas Tuchel is the same. When you, when you're a, a top level manager and a tactician like he is, um, you're going to overthink it from time to time. And I can see, I can see the point of putting Timo Werner on, um, because of his energy and because of his pressing. Um, but I think perhaps yes, it was a little bit conservative. And you thought, but the other, the other thing was well, like when they were trailing in the match, you, they didn't really. Like um, take the game to City. Still, there wasn't for a team that that started the season so well and has so much attacking talent. It was it was a bit strange to see really that they weren't taking the game to City when they were chasing the chasing the uh, chasing the match, being behind. But it was it was a brilliant performance by City, and I think Adam's right. And I'd I'd go I'd go further back than than twelve months as well. City's best performance. Everything worked on the day. Um, Bernardo Silva was excellent again. He's, I mean, the the talk of him going in the summer was 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 crazy. Really, he's such a, an amazing footballer, and he just brings so much to a Pep team. But in terms of Tuchel, I I, I just think he'll admit this. He got this one wrong, but he's going to get more right than he gets wrong over the season. So I wouldn't worry too much. Adam, I just want to flick back to City again before we move on to United. And Pete raises Bernardo Silva there. You know, rewind a month or so ago, and there was talk of him being shipped out to raise money to bring Harry Kane into the club. And he gave a little reminder yesterday of just how good he is and how adaptable he is when Guardiola wants to maybe tweak a system and change things up. Guardiola is going to roll out the line of squad rotation, and he wants to have um, quality players in every position. But you look at this team yesterday, the performance they put in, the pressing, the way that they just smothered Chelsea, who've been excellent so far this season are we seeing now probably what is City's strongest start in 11 and if that is the case what does that mean for the likes of Stones who end the season so brilliantly Raheem Sterling and club captain Fernandinho I think it's it's very difficult with a squad like City's and it's a blessing and a curse that we I don't think City have a, a best start in 11 I think what happened yesterday and I'd probably say for the first time in a while Pep picked the best starting 11 for that game it it worked it was flexible it was fluid the the players in the front three were swapping and overlapping and things just went well Fernandinho is club captain by name I think I think against Southampton he had his worst performance in a city shirt ever uh, I don't think and 
the people I sit around will, will say the same. I don't think I've, I've seen him have a game like that where he, he got run ragged by Southampton's midfield. It was quite a tough watch. I think the difference with him and Rodri is Rodri's a bit sturdier and he'll sit back a little bit more and it, it helped the like the front five that were, that were ahead of him. Uh, it helped them a lot and it helped the fullbacks and Cancelo and Walker were part of the reason that City's game went so well in the end. So yes, Fernandinho wasn't there. I think the, the other thing, and, and you mentioned club captain, Ruben Diaz was captain for City this weekend. And on the list of uh, of club captains, he is meant to be third. Second is, I think, meant to be De Bruyne, and he, he was on the pitch with him. So I think we're seeing a bit of a, a passing of the torch of the captaincy. I know that Pep likes to throw it about, uh, depending on who we're playing or who's in the team. But I think Diaz led very well. And if anyone's seen the videos of him in the fans at the end, he's he is some boy, is, is Ruben Diaz. Um, so yeah Fernandinho will play his part and he will play in uh, as a bit part I think Rodri is now the starting holding midfielder because I mean Fernandinho is just not he's just not getting any younger and he he struggled against Southampton so yeah I, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that a club captain in in like air quotes wasn't playing I, I wouldn't read too much into that and then he came on and, and shored it up for the end. So, yeah, it, it just, I mean, I couldn't have picked a more perfect performance at Stamford Bridge, to be quite honest. Uh, from a front five that were full of fluidity to a front four that certainly were not. We're going to move over to Manchester United now, Pete. 1-0 defeat at home to Aston Villa, obviously following on from the midweek loss to West Ham in the Carabao Cup but on the back of beating West Ham in the league last weekend. And looking at the West Ham league game and the Villa game yesterday, same front six and the same front four started in both games. Scott McTominay and Fred, deep line midfielders, and then Greenwood, Fernandez, Pogba, and, of course, Ronaldo in that front four. But looking at some of the numbers and some of the key stats from yesterday, 57% possession. They had less possession in the final third of the pitch than in any other game so far this season three shots on target right the way across the 90 minutes. We're going to talk about the big talking point, which was Bruno Fernandes' penalty miss in, in just a minute. But in terms of performances, United just didn't show up. And Solskjaer said after the cup game in midweek that it was a, a blip and you know the Carabao Cup is a difficult measuring stick. This is a Premier League game at home at Old Trafford that United should be winning. And they just couldn't really get it to click into gear. The thing, the, the most worrying thing I think for Man United fans at the moment is that Solskjaer doesn't think that there's anything wrong. The way he's speaking after the match, his matches, it's this. He just wheels out a different cliche every time. That's football. Uh, it can, go, you know, it, it's it can go your way sometimes, um, and it's just. And he, he, he said yesterday. He said yesterday that it's a fine balance, um, and if they if they'd have won. Uh, against Villa, everything would be rosy. But the point was, they didn't win against Villa, and they were they were they were awful. Um, they had you're right to the point to the the shot. I mean, it was the most shots they'd had in a Premier League game without scoring. I think they had 26, um, but three are on target all match. And um, Emmy Martinez had had a pretty comfortable game, really, all things considered. And Villa had the best chances. Um, they should have been two up at half time. Matt Target missed, missed the target from from three yards. Um, uh, Ollie Watkins should have scored when De- David De Gea passed in the ball. Um, there was further saves from De Gea in the second half. It was 
it, it was a thoroughly deserved victory um, for Villa because United was so poor. And the most worrying aspect of it is is nothing's changed really. In three years, we're still yet to see Solskjaer prove anything really as a coach. Um, he's relied on the individual brilliance to of his of his players to to get him to keep him in a job really and keep United making this steady progression that they are. But when Pogba doesn't pick a pass out of nowhere, off neither does Fernandez or Mason Greenwood doesn't hammer one in from twenty yards, then there's no there's no tactical plan. There's no a- approach to the game. Villa. Villa came with a plan to use their full to use their wing overlapping wing backs um, to have Jacob Ramsey in midfield to, to, as a link up between midfield and attack. There was ideas. There was there, there was there was some sort of creation creativity um, that had been worked on on the training ground. Whereas United, it's just it's, it it just seems like Solskjaer just picks his team and goes right. Okay, lads, off you go. Win us the match. And there's nothing coming from the coach, um, you know, the polar opposite to a Pep who, or a Tuchel who are overthinking. Uh, don't, it seems that Solskjaer's not thinking about it at all. Uh, looking at, obviously, the big talking point, Adam, I'm sure you're going to be delighted to talk about this. Bruno Fernandez's penalty miss. Looking back over his record, it's a kind of an interesting comparison because Mark Noble did pretty much the exact same thing at the exact same end of the pitch last weekend. And his, his record is incredible. 42 penalties he scored in his career from Sporting Lisbon right the way through to United. He's only ever missed four, scored 21 during his time at United, which is impressive. And yesterday's miss was his second. But... The whole scenario just looked set for him to miss. 93 minutes on the clock. Emmy Martinez is coming out, giving him a bit of grief, trying to wind him up. Courtney House is scuffing up the penalty spot. And he's got Cristiano Ronaldo burning two holes in the back of his shirt. <laughs> Fernandez, as professional and as outstanding a footballer as he is, just looked rattled. He forgot his normal hop, skip, jump. Everything he could have done, he didn't do. And then he's ballooned it over the bar. He's come out with a statement after the game, which, you know, make of it what you will in terms of the nonsense of modern football. But that penalty miss was indicative of this idea that, that Pete's just mentioned, that there's so much quality on the pitch. Eventually, one of them will do something and a goal will be scored. I I think, I mean, Pete said before, I think the, the entire, I think if we go back to, United as a whole this season and probably last season and probably the season before United have this mad thing of they'll they'll have an amazing game and then they'll they'll stumble and they'll they'll manage to cock up against Villa at home which yeah it's it's not it's not a gimme but at the same time if if you want to win titles and yes City slipped up against Southampton but I think that was more of a one-off. I think if you want to win titles, you, you've got to put put them to bed. And I, I mean, I've seen it on match of the day. I didn't see the game like Pete did, but the whole penalty scenario, it's, I mean, you look back to last week and you had the noble thing, which still is blowing my head off even thinking about it. This was chaos. Like you've brought Ronaldo into the club who is by all accounts, basically play a coach at this point. And he stood behind Bruno Fernandes. You've got the keeper telling Ronaldo to take it. You've got Fernandes putting it over the bar. You've got Martinez dry humping the post. And it, it's like, it's just pure theatre at the minute. I, I don't understand. And obviously this is coming from a, a City point of view. That front four is wonderful. Like you look, you, you look at the names and you look at it on paper 
but yet a can they all fit and that's the the cliche that's going around the papers can they mm, maybe and and b can Solskjaer manage those names they're they're big players like fernandez we saw last year he's got the most goal involvements of whoever whenever ronaldo comes into that sancho greenwood who is for my money the best young finisher i think i've seen in England for a long time can you manage all of those players in the same team at the same time whilst and this isn't a dig but I'll throw it as a dig whilst not really having a midfield that's the other thing that that kind of weirds me out United have got this mad front four um, but the midfield is poor and I wouldn't throw Pogba into that midfield bracket because I, I think he's a very different footballer but Fred McTominay Matic that's for and you can bring this back up in May when United eventually win it because I've said this but I think that is the big difference between United City Chelsea Liverpool I think three of those clubs have got a midfield and United are on a wing and a prayer at the minute hoping that Ronaldo can score as many goals as he can and the the other thing is and I know that I'm ranting now Cavani uh, I Again, I only saw him match of the day, but I believe that fans wanted him on a lot earlier. He's uh, look at him last season; he was ridiculous, and he, he's not getting near it. He's given up his number. He's given up his starting place. He, he just looks wasted, especially at that age. It's yeah, it's it's very weird from afar. Like I say, I, I, I've not seen the whole game, but it looks very odd. Uh, looking at the, the penalty incident, Pete, I'm going to throw this one across to you before we take a quick break. As part of this Bruno Fernandes statement that he came out with three pages long um, on social media to essentially admit culpability for missing the penalty, he apologised. Bruno Fernandes is one of the best penalty takers in the Premier League at the moment, but you can't ignore the fact that stood two yards away from him yesterday is one of the best penalty takers of the last decade in, in Cristiano Ronaldo. He said, chance comes again, if there's a penalty in the next game, he won't hesitate. But Given this idea that we've discussed that Solskjaer is maybe kind of stealing Adam's point a little bit, being part managed by Ronaldo, and he knows the pressure of just the spectre of Ronaldo being in the team, will the decision almost be taken out of Fernandez's hands and Solskjaer pass it across? And then if he does do that, does that open another can of worms in terms of his control and his management of the team? It was it was such a funny episode to to be in the stadium to see um, on Saturday. Just um, when Fernandez picked the ball up to take the penalty, he did not look back once. You're right to say that Ronaldo was 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 giving him daggers, but there was no response from Fernandez. There was no inkling to turn around and have a look. He grabbed that ball, and there was no debate about who was to take it. And it and it looked that a decision had been made by Solskjaer, but Ronaldo wasn't particularly willing to accept it. He didn't go up and say, you know. Uh, wish him good luck. There was no, there was no goodwill. There was, there was Ronaldo. I think thought that he might be, he might be the penalty taker, and he, he's now got grounds to say, well, I'm having the next one. Uh, it was the same with the free kick. Uh, the, you know, the first direct free kick um, against Villa. 
uh, Fernandez put the ball down and then Ronaldo does that stupid that stupid run up that he does and pulls his shorts up to get his thighs in, on show and um, and gets the gunslinger pose out and, and gets and lines up and then Fernandez puts it into the wall and then the next one was was Ronaldo um, so I think the next penalty you know could well be Ronaldo and Solskjaer after, after the game was he, he wouldn't be drawn on you know who's going to take the next one necessarily and. Um, he said we've got two two good penalty takers there, and you don't you can't really see Solskjaer being particularly strong enough to say no to the brand that is CR7. So, I and Ronaldo has got a, you know a bit of um, leverage now, hasn't he? Because he can say, well, he's missed the last one, and it was such a, a such an awful penalty that um, Ronaldo can say, well, I won't miss this, and if he scores that, then he say, well, I'm taking the rest from now on. So it's it, it it will be an awkward one, that's for sure, because Fernandez has been the main man um, in all aspects really since since he signed for the club. Now he's got his compatriot uh, alongside him, taking the limelight away from him. Um, so it, yeah, fascinating to see, and all eyes will be on that whenever the next penalty comes around. Right, quickly before we take a break, I'm going to throw it to both of you. Adam, we'll go to you first. Man United got Villarreal in midweek in European action and then Everton next weekend in the Premier League. If they get a penalty, who takes it? Bruno Fernandes or Cristiano Ronaldo? Ronaldo, because he's basically managing the team at this point. So, um, yeah, Ronaldo Ronaldo takes it. Like Pete said, Bruno's thrown it at him. He's put one so far over the bar that... If he can manage to get the ball next week, fair enough. But no, nah, Ronaldo takes the next one. I'm sure of it. Pete, would you agree? CR7 or Bruno? Oh yeah, Ronaldo. And but um, whether told or not, he will he will get Bruno in a headlock if he if he gets that ball first and throw him into the Stretford end. So uh, yeah, CR7 all day long. Yeah, uh, three votes for Ronaldo. Like it or lump it, Bruno. I think headlock or not, CR7 will be taking the next penalty for United. Right, gents, we're going to take a quick break. After the break, it is goals, goals, goals in the capital. Three all with Liverpool and Brentford and Arsenal with a 3-1 win in the North London derby. We're going to be getting stuck into both of those games in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Before the break, it was all about Manchester, the red and the blue half. Big, big win for Pep Guardiola's side. 1-0 victory at Stamford Bridge. But some controversy and disappointment for Manchester United with defeat at home to Aston Villa. Right, we're going to stay in the capital as we were there with Manchester City in part one. And we're talking Brentford against Liverpool. Pete, going to go to you on this one. Goals, goals, goals. Absolute madness at both ends of the pitch. Some shocking defending, some just abandoned defending Mm -hmm. from, from both sets of players. But... From Liverpool's point of view, they are wanting to be in the title conversation. We know that at the front end, they are fantastic. Diogo Jota, Mo Salah got themselves a goal each. Salah brings himself up to eleven, uh, sorry, to 100 Premier League goals for, for Liverpool. They probably could have scored five or six and, and gone on to win the game. But at the other end, Brentford, who we've all been quite impressed with so far this season targeted them they targeted a weakness on one side of the defence and their two goals to make it 3-2 and then make it 3-all basically just targeted Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joel Matip and Liverpool got picked off 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't I don't think there's too much to read into it really. If it in you know in terms of Liverpool's defence because they've been so good this, so far this season. Um, I think it was just it, it's um, I, I've not actually had a chance to get down there uh, yet this season but it sounds like it makes a hell of, they make a hell of an atmosphere for such a small stadium and um, you know they're riding on the crest of a wave nothing to lose going gung-ho you're going to get games like this Liverpool should have been out of sight I don't think I don't. The reason they didn't win this game wasn't because they conceded because of the goals they conceded. It's the fact that they didn't put away the ridiculous amount of chances that they created. It should have been sort of seven or eight, three to Liverpool. Um, and if you if you kill the game if you kill the game off, you know they don't Brentford don't have the spirit to to come back. You know if you if you if you go four or five up and which Liverpool should have done. So I, I think the wastefulness in attack is more to blame than the defence uh, Joel Matip is, is, is not normally a weak uh, area um, in the air sorry um, Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, I'm, I'm not sure of his aerial prowess really but I, I, I don't think it will be a, a common tactic to to target the, the, the back post of Liverpool um, they will learn from this Klopp would not like what he what, what he saw Um I think I think the Virgil Van Dijk should have been on that side. Why he wasn't? It was it was you know it's very bizarre because um, uh, you know Van Van Dijk wouldn't be um, bullied as easily as that. But I, I I do think the problem was down the other end. Just Liverpool's strike force is is, is so strange. Like they, they they're so fluid and they create so many chances. But there is so, like they do need a lot of chances to score. Sadio Mane this season it's been so bizarre. Um, it, the Leeds game, for example, he he had, he just he had so many chances and it was just getting further and further away. He did, he did get one in the end, but it's like you need um, Firmino's. Just, I think he's just the same. You need sort of six, seven chances to score really, um, and I think that was the, that was the problem at, um, on on Saturday night. I think that um, it was the. <sighs> They kind of took the foot off the gas um, when they when they threw on goal and think that the job's done. Just finish that game off, and then you wouldn't have had the defensive problems that they did. Yeah, I think before we move on to the derby, Adam, I do want to ask you about this thing with Liverpool. Pete said that obviously Van Dijk is in the mix. Maybe he could have shifted over to look to lend a hand, but ordinarily you wouldn't necessarily target Matip as a weak point. But the area that the final two goals for Brentford were scored from, Jalnet and, and Bisa, who got one with a couple of minutes to go, were almost identical. So obviously Thomas Frank and the Brentford players have identified that. But there was a real sense that the Liverpool players didn't. And they weren't lacking for experience in those areas. Through that middle four of the pitch, you've got Matip, Van Dijk, Jordan Henderson and Fabinho. And Trent Alexander-Arnold himself is, is not short of confidence. And you've got Alisson behind them. Somebody, whether it was Van Dijk managing it on the pitch or Klopp managing it from the touchline, should have dealt with that situation. Because even if it's just a case of we know where Brentford are going to drop the ball, get an extra man over there, get Van Dijk across, get Henderson back in to lend a hand, getting caught out by basically the same ball once is forgivable. Getting caught out twice in the same game in the space of 10 minutes just just isn't. Yeah, I think I think it's a very weird one with Liverpool. Um, and I think that area with Trent and it will upset Liverpool fans and rightly so it, it'd probably annoy me if, if someone said this about our fullback. he's wonderful going forward Trent he is probably the best in the world and I, I say probably he is the best in the world as a, as a fullback going forward going backwards it's no, it's no coincidence that Thomas Frank has looked at that and gone 
let's target that pocket because we know he's going to be going forward and we're going to get at him. And Klopp's got that thing that a lot of the very good managers have, Pep, Tuchel, whoever else you want in the Prem. He he will let something happen and then he'll stew on it and he'll and and in this, on this occasion it happened twice like you say within a few minutes and then you you screwed the, there's not many managers and probably two calls the best at it he wasn't very good at it this weekend but at reacting and making a a very swift change making it happen Klopp's got that thing that Pep has where he'll he'll let it happen once and he'll he'll shout at them and he'll he'll try and do what he can but then it'll happen again you look stupid you you can't really win in that regard but Trent isn't a weak link but if you can get him like Brentford did other teams will be looking at that thinking my god if if we can have a go at them two and the the central midfielders that were swapping about then people are going to get joy conceding three goals away from home is I mean, it, it's not a very like Liverpool thing that you'd expect. The Liverpool that we've come to know the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one. I wonder if it's an anomaly. Um, not sure, but the fact that Brentford were able to get that much joy was is probably a worry if you're a Liverpool fan. Uh, from Northwest London to North London, Pete. North London derby, Arsenal three, Tottenham one. Mikel Arteta's got himself a fairly good record in the derby. This is back-to-back Emirates wins over Tottenham in the Premier League. And given the fact that he's been under so much pressure since the start of the season and then two really gritty, kind of scrappy wins building into this against Norwich and, and Burnley, there was a huge amount riding on this for him. And there's probably going to be question marks about Mikel Arteta further down the line. We know that Arsenal, in particular in terms of a fan base, are never far away from a crisis. But this result today, and particularly these young players, Smith Rowe with a goal, Bukayo Saka with a goal, an assist for Smith Rowe and for Saka as well, for, for good measure, just kind of carrying the banner for the Hale End Academy. This demonstrates that whatever the issues are at Arsenal, whether there is players that need to be moved on or maybe Arteta potentially could come in for uh, for some exit calls later on this season, this group of young players that he has in the team are pulling for him. And if Arteta is to stay in a job, he has got their support. He's got their support and he's got this hope for the future. Um, this transfer window, Arsenal spent you know, quite a lot of money. Um and a, a lot of supporters were a bit sort of unhappy, really, with kind of the players that they brought in. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't sort of blockbuster names that were going to make an instant impact. It was, it was signings for the future, and you know, there's there's pros and cons of that, of course, because Arsenal aren't in a good place at the moment. Um, but it's it's days like today when that 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 policy pays off because the the young players. Um, are, are ca- not carrying Arteta. I think that's probably a bit harsh, but without the the, the quality of these young players and the the vibrancy that they bring to the team, um, then Arsenal would be even in, even in even more peril than they are, than they are now currently. Um, Bakayo Saka, much has been made of his rise, but him and Smith Rowe together, the way they link up, uh, I, I think I think they've um, they've combined for several goals already. Um, is 
it's so good to see for from an Arsenal point of view. But I thought Odegaard was excellent as well. Um, Ramsdale in goal had um, had a great game, and I love that sort of chest beating, you know, celebrating saves, you know, celebrating tackles. Um, it was it was a really up it was a really uplifting performance for Arsenal, really, all over the pitch, um, and gives. Um, potential for, um, for you know something to build on, but it was it was it was aided. The the result was aided by a very poor Spurs side who who seemed to be uh, struggling really considering the start that they made to the season. But um, the future is very bright for these if for these players. It's um, it's whether they can be relied upon already. It's it's you still need your senior boys to 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 fire and Aubameyang has turned up in the last few weeks. Um, the problem is is whether he'll do it all season. Uh, that's that's the issue. That's the, always the constant worry. Has he got a discipline problem in uh, another discipline problem in it, in him? Um, and but if not, and and he's firing, he can he can lead by example with these young players backing him the, the cavalry behind him um, it's just whether he'll do it on a regular basis but a very a very positive performance and much much needed really considering uh, all the problems that Arsenal have had at the start of the season Looking across the fence to, to Tottenham Adam and Nuno Santo as, as Pete points out very strong start to the season back to back 3-1-0 wins including beating City on the opening day but there's a danger that that now seems to be right in the rearview mirror they haven't won in five in League Cup and, and European action or they squeaked through on penalties in, in midweek in the Carabao but there is this sense still of we don't really know what Spurs are about we go back to the summer and the situation with Kane Kane clearly wanted to leave Tottenham he said as much the move was blocked he's been not exactly forced to stay but it's definitely not his first choice and on the subject of first choices we know that Nuno Santo also wasn't Tottenham's first choice to, to take over as manager so you do get the sense that there is a lot of marriages of convenience going on right the way through the club in terms of the coach in terms of players and where they're playing and generally speaking when you find yourself in a pressured situation these things tend to crack open and this was a demonstration of this today because we still don't really know what we're going to get from Spurs and you get the sense that it's just very very short term based they are just they've got no imagination spurs i don't think i think that's that's the word that i'm looking for i think i'd i'd say that not just in their performances and they were that first half today against arsenal is about as bad as it gets like it doesn't get that much worse arsenal yes were were excellent and as pete said the the youth was exuberant and they they looked at it Spurs are the complete opposite they look they look tired they look almost disinterested I think the way that he's setting them up I, th- I think I'm right in saying this at, at, at point of recording they've had the lowest shots in the league this this season which is not what you would expect from a Spurs side of the last 10 years like they they are even if they're bad, they they will have a Kane and a Son and a, a Bergwijn or a Mora. They'll have someone getting something. They've not got anything, and they they look in a real bad state. Yes, yes, City got beat by them one nil, but I could have told you that was going to happen twelve weeks in advance. They look like Nuno, and I'm not digging out a manager who's been there for a couple of months. I just don't think he. He knows what he wants to get out of his players. He's playing Harry Kane, who 
is one of the best number nines in the world. He's going to become England's top scorer of all time. He's playing him at some points as a defensive midfielder, and I don't know if that's a managerial thing. I don't know if that's that's Kane himself. Uh, and I've seen a lot of what we're seeing now is we're seeing a lot of blame going at Kane, saying he's not interested. He wanted the move, and yes, he did want the move, but he also likes scoring goals. That is a man that will take the golden boot over just about anything. He he likes to score goals, and he's he's being played in a position that. He's not even near the front three that he's a part of, and it's bizarre. And I, I texted Spurs mate before, just winding him up, saying, "Well, that's all gone well, hasn't it? They they managed to yeah get rid of a boss. They wouldn't let their star striker go, and it's it's not going well. It, it's not going well at all." I tweeted before, and I was being a bit tongue in cheek, and said, "There are two scenarios that come of this. Nuno's gone by Christmas." because they are so poor not even just because of results because of the way they're playing or they finish bottom half of the table I, I can't see it going any other way and yes prove me wrong in six months time but they were awful and Fergal I'll, gi- I'll give you your dues Arsenal were electric in the first half I think you'd, you'd put it that way Pete, I just want to get your take on the Kane situation before we, we take a quick break on, on part two because it is a situation that needs to be managed. Nuno, during the summer, had the kind of get-out uh, clause where he could say, listen, that's being dealt with by the club. Whether he leaves, whether he stays, that will be handled by Daniel Levy and the board. My job is to just focus on the team and the players that I have and, and blah, blah, blah. Kane has obviously come back in. Whatever the situation that he's operating within, he is staying at Spurs at least until the end of this season. And as Adam said he does still bring with him if he's played in the right position a relatively strong guarantee of X amount of goals how does Nuno handle this situation and realistically what can be expected from Kane between now and the end of the campaign he's a wonderful footballer and I get the reason why they were so desperate to hang on to him given what he's done for the club how much they rely on him um, and have relied on him in the last few years but my take on on this is 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 I think that Nuno really should have been given 100 million pounds to spend after selling Harry Kane for 130 um, because now he's he's stuck with a striker, not you know stuck with Harry Kane really, but he's he now has a striker who is his only you know he's his only main striker who um, overtly wanted to leave. Um, and yes, he's he's he wants to he's he wants to break this goal scoring records, doesn't he? In, in in England, so he's still gonna want, he's not going to down tools. He's still gonna. Uh, he's still going to fight for the cause, but when your head's been turned, there's he'll always look. He, he might look back on this, and if in well, he might look back on this for a few years, Harry Kane, to, to last summer, and think, was that the time that I could have? You know, that's my moment gone. Perhaps this was my chance to win something. And this Spurs team, let's be honest, aren't going to win anything for a long, long time. The position that they're in, how far they are behind everybody else, and. I don't think City will come back in for him after a, after a season of perhaps say he scores twenty goals a season, which I think he will. Maybe maybe twenty twenty one goals. He's still got you know he'll come good. Um, he's had a bad start to the season, but he'll come good. He's too good not to. Um, but I don't think he'll have a, an amazing season. And are City going to come back in for him? And, and if they do, they'll come back in for him forty million less than they would have done in the summer. So I, I think it's bad business, really. Daniel Levy got on his high horse and and uh, high horse and. 
the it's, it's kept the fans happy. You don't mess. You, you can't deal with Daniel Levy. You cannot outthink Daniel Levy. You cannot outwit Daniel Levy. But he's essentially lost his his club a hundred million pounds, hundred million plus, um, because there's this very very strong chance that the city won't come back back in for him uh, and won't sell him. Uh, and 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 what and Spurs won't be able to sell him. Certainly not for anything like they did in the summer. My view is they should have sold him in the summer when they could get the money for him and use that money, spend it wisely on on, on reinvesting in the squad. Now they're going to be stuck with a player who he turns twenty nine next year, and, and clubs aren't going to want to pay big money for him. So it's it's just, it's just, I, I just think they got it wrong in the summer, and and uh, his hands are tied. City might go back in for him, but there there were many pundits, there were many papers writers the rest of it saying well if City really wanted him they would have paid 150 million quid for him that's not how it works City had valued him at what 100 or whatever they'd valued him at and they weren't going any higher and the issue that Spurs now have is they had a 100 million 120 million pound player they haven't got that player anymore because as Pete said he's another year older he's had three shots this season three shots as a main number nine in four games and he looks lost and I I, I mean I'd say I feel sorry for him but I I don't really Um, but there's there's no way that City come back in with the same offer City come back in and go well he's another year older he scored 12 goals this season We'll, we'll give you 50 and then Daniel Levy's going to go no I still want 150 and you've got a player there then who really doesn't want to be there? He he wants to be there now because he's a, he's a professional footballer. He he wants to play for his club. He's he's not an idiot. But my God, if if he has a season as bad as it's going, and he, he can't even get the goals, then he's as Pete said. He he had the chance. That was the chance, and it was his own fault for signing a six-year contract. But it's looking pretty bad for him and for Spurs as a deal. So, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It just kind of depends, I suppose, what happens with Nuno Santo. And ultimately, Santo's future is probably going to be linked with Kane's between now and the end of the season. Right, gents, we're going to take a quick break from part two. After the break, in part three, we're going to be wrapping up the rest of the weekend's Premier League action. Five games still to go, three wins with some massive, massive points picked up. We're going to be getting stuck into all of that in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. And just a quick reminder, if you're a new listener to the podcast or if you're a regular fan, we are here every single day, every 24 hours, a brand new episode. If you click subscribe on this one, you can get a brand new one as soon as it is ready. Right then, five games still to get stuck into from the weekend. Adam, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Everton 2, Norwich nil. More misery for Norwich, six games back in the top flight but no wins 
As for Everton, back to winning ways, defeat to Villa last time out. And Rafa Benitez he cuts a very calm, cool customer in, in these types of situations because he refuses to panic. He doesn't really get involved in the kind of narrative of is there a crisis? How far are you away from a crisis? He just remains very, very focused on winning football matches. And given the situation that Everton have found themselves in since David Moyes, Roberto Martinez, Ronald Koeman, Marco Silva, David Hunsworth briefly, there was always this idea that they could turn in a fantastic performance against a Man City or a Chelsea. But the Norwiches, those types of games that for a team like Everton should just be three points, box ticked, move on to the next one. Rafa does offer that. There is always going to be questions about Rafa, whether it's from his connections to Liverpool or whether the football he plays is attractive enough. But he does offer more of a guarantee of points than any Everton man, any Everton manager for some time. I think Everton under Rafa Benitez look the most solid they've looked since David Moyes era Everton and it might not excite the fans the way that Ancelotti was the big sexy signing that came in and he brought James Rodriguez and he brought Allen and everyone else. Rafa Benitez isn't losing against Norwich and you can kind of say what you want about him and his Liverpool connections. He's strong, he... He's, he's got the setup a little bit more interesting. Damari Gray is going to turn out to be one of the signings of the season. They signed him for about 10 quid. He's He looks very, very good. Uh, Andros Townsend was a, a... like it's The whole thing is just weird. When you look at the team, it's weird. But they, they play decent football. And they're not going to get beat as easily as they did under all of the managers that Fergal's just mentioned. They're in much better shape, I'd say. The fans are coming on side with him because he's, as Fergal just said, he's winning those games that Everton would have slipped up on. Yes, they lost a, a game last week, week before, whenever it was, but they they look more reliable. And I think as a as an Everton fan, you'd probably look at it and go, at the moment, that's probably what we need. We need to be a bit more reliable. And if you look at the teams around them and the teams that Everton fans might compare themselves to, they want to they want to be where Leicester are. They want to be ahead of West Ham. They they want to be around where Arsenal and Spurs are. They they're much more capable of that, I think. And yes, Ancelotti is a great manager. It didn't work out for him. It was a little bit too flash in the pan I, I think Benitez is so steady I, I think Benitez could do it at the pretty much any club and just, just sort you out put you on the right path, will he stay there for 3-4 years maybe not but they for, for my money and Pete might disagree I think, I think they're much stronger but just very quickly on Norwich they've lost 16 Premier League games on the bounce and nobody's even mentioning Daniel Farker at all he he just goes under the radar they've lost he, he's lost 16 Premier League games on the bounce they're on zero points it's not good enough they've spent a bit of money as well that's that is not good enough I know that they've had some tough fixtures but my word if they're just if they're just going to sit there and go yeah it's fine it's fine it's not fine you're going to go down and you're going to go down with very few points it's that must be a tough watch for, for people who go and see him every week. Anyway, more about Everton, I think, than, than Norwich that game. 
Uh, looking across some of the rest of the results, Pete, and as Adam points out there, with Norwich, no wins, six defeats, but there's actually five teams so far this season that haven't picked up a win, and all of them are included in, in this block of games coming up. Leeds won, West Ham two. Impressive stuff from West Ham again. We saw in midweek in the Carabao Cup that they kind of got their own back a little bit on United after losing in the league, but Leeds are in that block of no wins, three points on the board after six games, and Marcelo Bielsa is... is it's a difficult one to say because I'm talking to a United fan and a City fan but he is generally almost universally well liked across the Premier League the the football that he's got Leeds playing the way that he wants to approach the game the way that he's very unwilling to change and bend from what he believes how football should be played but so far this season something just doesn't look right they don't seem able to imprint their game on the opposition they don't seem to be able to force the issue like we saw last season and there were two examples in this game right in the middle of the park Calvin Phillips who played ever present last season and was then excellent for England in the summer and Matthias Click alongside him who also played for Poland in, in Euro 2020 they look knackered and when you're playing in Bielsa's system particularly right in the heart of the team in the engine room you cannot be knackered and I think all of these games and this high-octane football is very, very slowly starting to catch up on these players. Yeah, but I think, we, I think we've been here before with that, with that theory that um, when Leeds didn't come up um, to the Premier League, it, it was um, when they lost to Derby in the playoffs, it was because they were knackered. And then the year after, they, 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 they came up automatically. So I, I think... It's not a new thing that Bielsa's trying. His, his players know full well what they what they're getting themselves into when you when you sign up for Bielsa, and I think I think it's it's just a matter of time really until they pull themselves <laughs> until they pull themselves out of this because um, if you look at some of the get so the, that well, West Ham game they had chances to win that um, and had Rafinha stayed on the pitch they may well have done. Um, they've got a, a ridiculous amount of injuries. At the back, they had to play young Charlie Cresswell at the at centre half. Um, they're missing three first choice centre backs, um, and other games this season they could have easily won that brilliant uh, Everton game um, where they drew to uh, to all. They could have they could have snatched that at the death. Um, they've they've apart from the Liverpool game, they've they've done the usual. They've gone toe to toe with teams, and it's just not quite worked out. I get your point about uh, the midfield, and I think I don't necessarily think it's um, just Bielsa, you know, and his thing. It's it's Calvin Phillips played um, in the Euros, um, went from last season to the Euros straight into the new season. I think it's just the fact that it's just game after game after game, and I think you're seeing it in a lot of teams around Europe. Um, as, you know, a lot of Serie A teams are actually suffering along those lines because of Italy's uh, Euro twenty twenty success. So, um, I think I think Leeds will 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 come out of it. I don't think I don't think the players are knackered beyond repair. I think um, they the Leeds Bielsa, Bielsa and his and his team know what they're doing in terms of the fitness and and how to get the best out of the team. I think it's just a matter of time until they th- turn things around and they get that they get that win that some of the performances have warranted so far. Looking across some of the other games, Adam, Leicester 2, Burnley 2, or more importantly, Jamie Vardy 3, Burnley 1, two goals at the right end and one at the wrong end. Vardy was like a man possessed uh, in this game and you definitely wouldn't think that he's 34, turning 35 later on this season based on these types of performances. 
Leicester find themselves in an interesting position this season because so much talk has been about the, the physical and the mental impact of missing out on Champions League football for two seasons in a row. They're now into the Europa League, which brings the kind of Thursday-Sunday, Thursday-Sunday conundrum. Um, there is a little bit of a, a kind of thought that they are going to struggle with that they've strengthened in the summer but they've still got a relatively thin squad when it comes to fighting across multiple fronts but when they've got Vardy and when they've got the ability to turn in these types of performances that kind of throws that logic into the bin a little bit the results have not been dreadful of late maybe been a little bit unlucky in certain games given the quality that they've got if they do start to get a little bit more luck and a few things bouncing their way do you think they are still going to be right in the conversation for European qualification? Uh, probably unpopular opinion, but no. Um, and that's coming from a guy who had them, I think, finishing sixth in the in the uh, predictions that we did a few months ago. The squad, like like you said, the squad is thin. It's really thin, and the fact that I, I know that like you've got Ronaldo who's thirty six, thirty seven, whatever he is. Relying on Jamie Vardy at 34 is going to be tough. They've got Daka, they've got Iheanacho uh, in the squad. Their starting 11, if everyone's fit, is very good. and It'll match people up. I think what we're seeing this season is people have found out how to attack Leicester. And I think that's more the issue. Uh, People might disagree, but I think that well, they've, they've played six, lost three, won two. That's not what we've seen in the last couple of years. Leicester away especially. Going to Leicester, trying to get anything, used to be a very, very like tough fixture. That's a top top four or five tough fixture. People are going there and scoring goals. Above them in the table, only Arsenal have conceded as many goals. They've conceded 10 in six. They're, they're becoming a bit too easy to get at, and I think that's the issue. They've still got Vardy and Iheanacho and Daka and everyone else around them to, to go and do the business up top. I think the issue that they've they've found this season is is at the back, and it, it might be a thing about Europe, but at the same time, I just wonder if, yes, yes, they brought in a couple of players in summer, but I wonder if, yeah, they finished fifth and then fifth and just missed out on both occasions. I wonder if this season is going to have to be a... Yeah, let's rebuild. Let's let's just try and get ourselves into the Europa League this season and just just see where we end up because I I don't think they look the same team and feel free to disagree. I I don't think they're they're anywhere near that level of fifth. Uh, one team that is definitely in a bit of danger. There's no room to negotiate that is Newcastle. Pete Watford won. Newcastle won from the Watford receptor. Um, Cisco, I'm really, really big fan of him. He looks like one of the most cheerful managers the Premier League's ever seen. But his opposite number at Vicarage Road, Steve Bruce, is definitely not cheerful. Newcastle find themselves in that block of clubs that haven't won. Things all look very difficult, very drab for him. And we seem to kind of ask the same question about Steve Bruce every weekend of how long has he got? Is it inevitable that he's going to be sacked? But you look at the games to come they've got six games coming between now and the end of October all of them look really really difficult and um, it's fairly logical to see that they could come out with this with very very minimal points if we're in that position does it just become an inevitability inevitability that Steve Bruce is gone has it not just been a matter of time for you know for seemingly a year and a half now it's he's 
no f- you ask you won't find a newcastle fan that wants Forever. him <laughs> yeah yeah you you won't you won't find you won't find a newcastle fan really that wants him to stay and it's 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 harsh to see really given what he's been through and the fact that he is a local lad and all that um but he has the backing of one man, and that's the most important, I suppose, and that's Mike Ashley. I think the Newcastle need the Steve Bruce that's on the, this FIFA video that's doing the rounds. That pace that when he when he runs off the bench that all the all the players aren't happy with. They need they need some of that really. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, it's that was a mad game really. That and Jacob Murphy goes through on goal last and last minute, and you need to. And you need a victory desperately. Your manager desperately needs a victory, and he tries that dink finish. You would yeah. be absolutely, you'd be absolutely livid. You'd be throwing, yeah, you'd be, you'd be throwing absolutely everything at him in the train changing room, and you'd be furious. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely madness. But does does that sort of attitude stem from the manager? You 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 wouldn't see that really in, in many other teams. And does that and does that stem from the manager? All is not well. We know that there's training ground bust ups every week. He's banning journalists every other week as well um and you you go on a newcastle um on a uh, on a press uh, a press conference at newcastle it's a very very feisty affair and and the questions are you know are, are a little bit more pointed but it's because of the way newcastle have treated the journalists then they're going to ask the difficult questions and bruce just seems to be hanging on what i don't get really about the whole bruce thing is that it doesn't look fun it doesn't look fun for him uh, so i don't know why he's so desperate to hang on really it doesn't it doesn't look like a, some, something that he no. would enjoy and just I'd, I'd i don't know i'd probably jump ship myself really because it, it must be affecting his mental health um you know he's getting abuse he's getting abuse from all angles on all forms of social media he's getting abuse from um, his own fans, journalists, everyone in the club, apart from one man, Mike Ashley. So, I don't, th- I don't think I'd want to stick around myself. But yeah, look, these games that Newcastle have got coming up, considering how few points they've taken so far from the more winnable games, shall we say, um, the writing surely, surely is on the wall. But it, it, and it's a matter of who would want to take it because it's not an easy job to take that with the pressure and the position that they're in but there is some good there are some good players there it's a, it's a, it's a decent enough squad that should be doing a lot better really um i think newcastle perhaps maybe overperformed um last season but they, they, when they've got the um strongest 11 out it's it's a pretty decent side and they'll it, but it has to be their writing has to be on the wall and and it's surely, surely just a matter of time for Bruce. Right, final game of the weekend. Adam, we're going to go back to you on this one. Southampton against Wolves. First win of the Premier League season for Wolves. And the big story, the happy story, the positive story, is Raul Jimenez getting himself back amongst the goals. First Premier League goal since his layoff with that horrible head injury. Whilst that's a big positive and, and it's great to see him back playing and scoring goals and back to his old self... Southampton are in that block of teams that are yet to win so far this season. It's the first win for Wolves. And both Hootel and Bruno Lage, even though he's won this game, have still got a bit of a shadow hanging over them based on the start of the season. Yeah, I think um, we, we talk about Southampton and they're, they're a bit of a funny team. They're, for my money, the, the most pressing team I've seen come to City's ground for a good year or so. They, they were excellent when we played them, but they need to be better in the other games. Yes, they got a point against us, and that, that'll be a big point. However, I think this, this, can't, this Wolves game is one of those games where you, you don't really want to lose. Wolves, on the other hand, are, for, again, for my money, much better than I expected them to be. 
think they've been pretty exciting to watch, to be honest. Um, he's not quite got the results that he wants yet. I'm very glad that uh, Jimenez is back on the score sheet. Uh, his injury was awful. And he's come back. He's. Try, I think you've seen in the other games, if you've watched any of the games that they've had so far, uh, he's trying to get himself back into that kind of predator in front of goal approach and he he might be back there so I hope he does well I quite like the way that Wolves are playing Southampton were great against City not so good against Wolves I think both of them will be fine yeah yeah and it definitely has a feel of a final game on a Sunday night about it but fair play to Wolves getting their first win of the season and as we say it's absolutely brilliant to see Raul Jimenez back in action and doing what he does best right gents we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show Adam Pete as always thanks so much for your time pleasure thank you Great stuff. And as always, here at FSD, we are here every single day with a brand new Premier League podcast. Jim, Niall, Marley and the rest of the team will be back tomorrow previewing the Monday night action as Crystal Palace take on Brighton and building up to those all-important Champions League games in midweek. We'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.